This episode is brought to you by Basque Bank. Did you know the Basque Mileage Savings Account is the only savings account that earns American Airlines Advantage miles? That's 1.5 miles for every $1 saved annually. At Basque Bank, you'll experience zero monthly account fees, fast and easy setup, friendly customer service, and it's FDIC insured. A Bass Savings account out-earns others so that your savings can take you farther. Check the episode show notes to learn how you can open a Basque Savings account today. Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Our guest today is Vernon Beckford. Vernon is the CEO of Diversified Lending Solutions, a capital advisory firm for small mid-sized real estate operators. He has over 15 years of experience and leadership in investment management, debt and equity joint ventures, commercial mortgage origination, and distressed loan workouts. While also holding positions at large companies, Vernon made early stage investments in tech as well as commercial real estate. Vernon is a graduate of Columbia University and received his MBA from Harvard Business School. In this episode, Vernon breaks down how you can start investing in real estate without being a landlord. We hope you get a lot out of this episode. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Be sure to get our free Couples Money Starter Kit to help you get on the same page about money with your partner. The link is in the show notes. Hey, Vernon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here, Angie and RJ. You know, for those who may not know you, can you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, born and raised in New York, long-term New Yorker, went to Columbia University with an ambition of getting into finance and real estate, went into investment banking, realized very quickly that I had a passion for real estate. And then worked for the next, call it, 10 years of my life making that transition out of corporate into uh, the entrepreneurial chair, both as an investor in real estate and an advisor to folks looking to scale their businesses. So that's been an exciting journey. Happy to be here today. What part of New York did you grow up? We, we lived in New York for a little bit. Oh, really? So I was born in the Bronx, grew up in Westchester County in a city called Nourishell, New Rock City. And yeah, New York has a a strong gravitational pull. So uh, stayed in the city for college and then worked in the city in Credit Suisse uh, right after graduation. That's awesome. That's awesome. So so you you talked about, you know, you worked in corporate America for 10 years, but you said you started to transition into entrepreneurship. Can you tell us why you made that change? That's a great question. So I actually wouldn't even frame it as a change as much as just the right timing to, to make a, take advantage of a certain opportunity. So when I actually went to Columbia, part of the reason I was so excited was when I was in high school, I'd done a program called the YEP program, Young Entrepreneurship Program. And Michael Milken, very successful investor, had sponsored this program for young people of color who were looking to explore careers in entrepreneurship. At that time, I didn't really know what that meant. meant but it sounded excited to create something from scratch. And so I got the bug there at the time. I, you know, I was, I'm still very passionate about comic books, but I put together my first business plan, a launch in a comic book business. And you had to pitch in front of investors and, and raise capital. And I realized very quickly, this is something that I'm going to do at some point in my career. It just may not be right after I graduate college, because I still felt like there were a lot of skills that I needed to be confident enough to take that step. And frankly, I didn't even know what skills that all encompassed. So 
banking was a great step for me. Finance was a great step for me to learn the business and transition in finance as a way to understand how businesses work, understand how the capital markets work. So I could be in a position when I had a really good idea and opportunity to actually leverage it. So it was more an acknowledgement that I needed to, to, to do some training. And frankly, there were various times throughout that period where I did leave and, you know, either launched or participated in entrepreneurial ventures. So it certainly wasn't a binary experience. It was one that was just an evolution over time. You know, I think what you said was so important. And it's the fact that you had exposure to entrepreneurship at a young age, it sounds like, from this program. And so it can pretty much change your whole trajectory, if you will, just having that glimpse into a pathway that you may not have known much about at the time. Absolutely. So both of my parents are academics. My mom's a psychologist. My dad's an electrical engineer. So it would have been very natural for me to follow one of those paths or go down a more traditional path, let's say, become a doctor, become a lawyer. And so having that opportunity to say, well, there's an entirely different path that involves business, but that still allows you to express a view or express a passion around whatever goals you have was exciting to me. So when it comes to, for instance, community development, I had originally just thought, well, if you care about community development, you get into politics and, you know, you, and that's the way that you can actually affect change. It was really in that program where I realized how impactful you can be from a business point of view in accomplishing or working towards some of those same goals. And so as I was going into corporate and understanding I was working with these big organizations, the goal was also, how do I extract the information that I can apply this to my community and we can actually pool this knowledge in a way that helps us replicate in our communities the same multi-billion dollar transactions that are happening abroad? You know, I think that's amazing, the work that you're doing as far as community development. And one of the other things that I find very admirable is that you said that you didn't just jump into entrepreneurship right away, right? You know, oftentimes today where, you know, entrepreneurship looks glamorous, right? Everyone's like, oh, leave the nine to five, get into entrepreneurship. But what I think you said is key is that you saw, you assessed yourself and said, Let, what can I take from my corporate jobs? What skills can I attain? And then eventually use them in, you know, my path to entrepreneurship. And I think that gets lost on people a lot. And one thing, not seeing how their nine to five or their corporate jobs can actually help equip them for what or prepare them for an eventual path to entrepreneurship, if that's what they want to do. So I'm curious, what are some of those skills that you took from your corporate job that really prepared you for the leap into entrepreneurship? Sure. Great question. So I remember very vividly. So I was a few years into my role at Credit Suisse. The economy was was still booming. This was right before the, the downturn. And so they sent me to Japan. And they said, I'd never been to Japan, by the way. They, they sent me to Japan and said, listen, we want you to help us build a, a business in Japan to finance commercial real estate and bring your know-how of what's happening in, in the New York office to this new market. Sounded incredibly exciting, but a functionally what that was, was being an internal entrepreneur. Because all we had was a couple folks in that office who knew what they wanted to do, but hadn't done it in the same way our New York office had. So how do I bridge that gap? 
So that involves, okay, how do you set goals efficiently, right? What is it that we're looking to do? How do you bring in the various stakeholders at the right time to make sure that the process is being organized properly? How do you manage risks that you probably would not have thought of if you were just a worker bee and just had your one specific duty? What risks are there that are obvious and not obvious that we have to prepare for in advance, right? And then how do you keep the team motivated in such a way that they're staying on track? All of these little things that sound very straightforward and obvious, but that come together at the exact same time, it's almost like being an orchestra conductor where you're sitting in the seat and you're looking at that person, oh, how hard can that really be, right? It's pretty obvious. He's just pulling this person and pulling that person at that time when there's so much more to the orchestration to get from the beginning to the end. So not only was that a, a, a combination of what I say are hard skills, but they're also the soft skills that you build the confidence, you build the ability to listen to your inner voice, you build an inner sense of calmness in, in the face of adversity and chaos, because that's what it was. It was MD saying, we need to be up and running yesterday, get it done, figure it out, and be able to do that all in a way that actually gets you to the finish line. So that's just one example. And I could go through a ton where I wouldn't say you're ever going to feel like you've just checked the boxes enough to be quote unquote ready. But there's a fine line between knowing that you're not prepared and just delaying the inevitable. So the goal here isn't, I'm just going to stay in my job for 20 years because I'm scared to start the business. No, no, no. There's going to be a point where you're going to have to take the leap, but at least you feel like you have enough in your toolbox where you're not completely you know, adrift at sea. You know, I think it's so important, right, to make sure that we're utilizing our nine to fives to acquire the skills that we need to then eventually, if that's what you want, to put into your own business, like being intentional about the skills that you're acquiring. And if you're not getting that experience that's giving you those hard or soft skills that you want or need, taking the leap to even look for new opportunities, right? Yeah. And I think it's just in general, like with career development, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's the goal is not to, you know, be in the same place, right? You want to always obtain grow. skills. You always want to grow because you don't know what that next venture will be, whether that's entrepreneurship or going into, you know, a higher leadership position or just helping others learn like what you learned, right? So you always want to think about, you know, the next three, five, 10 years in terms of what you're looking to obtain as far as goals. But I wanted to pivot in terms of how you actually got into real estate. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So it was a little bit of luck and it was a little bit of design. So when I went into banking, I knew that my very quickly when, you know, spend some time on a trading floor, spend some time putting pitch, de pitch decks together for, for large M&A transactions. I just realized that real estate was something that I connected to more so than some of the other asset classes. And it was very obvious to me very quickly. So my goal then was to say, okay, how can I leverage the organization to get as much real estate experience? Just so happened that my partner, Eric, who was also a Columbia a classmate friend, was starting at Goldman Sachs. And at that point, he knew that he wanted to get into real estate. So very early on, I observed someone else who was buying, literally, I still, I still don't know how he did it, was buying two families, three families, four family units while he was burning the midnight hours working at Goldman Sachs. And when I saw him doing that, honestly, it inspired me to say, listen, this isn't something that I need to wait 20 years to get into. 
He's making it happen now. And I always remembered that. And I always use that as an example of if you have the right infrastructure, if you're thinking about it the right way, even though it makes sense to do things at, at, at a reasonable pace, you're never going to feel comfortable. So take that leap as soon as you possibly can. And so from that, uh, basically continued to work on real estate on the corporate side and started making investments of my own in smaller transactions. And that was really kind of the dual tracking where as I'm essentially building my own mini portfolio, I'm still working on a, on larger transactions to continue to, to fill out my skill set. I love that. You know, like a lot of times we hold ourselves back because we think that, oh, I'll wait until, you know, I don't have enough experience. I'm not ready. But sometimes you do have to take action. Right. And it's it's more so calculated risk, you know, not saying that to throw your life savings um, at an opportunity or an investment. But it's like how what what small baby step can you take today to move you in the direction where you want to go in, you know, in terms of investing and buying real estate? And so, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the community development that that you do. So can you just tell us, first of all, what exactly is community development as a starter? Sure. So I define community development in this context as a set of economic investments or activities that can facilitate job growth, can facilitate wealth creation, and can facilitate the development and expansion of services in a community that actually drive the higher quality of life. And so one of the biggest things I think any person of color has experienced living in any, in any big urban market is the opportunities for improvement. Seeing, you know, whatever be the dap- dilapidated projects, seeing, you know, the lack of quality services, whether it be a grocer, whether it be retail, whether it be healthcare, and feeling some, some level of, of discouragement well, why is this the case? Why is it that the community is not thriving? And so real estate is at the, the center of that in so many respects, because it touches where you live, touches where you shop, touches where you play. And the lack of any of those things in a community can really be detrimental. And so the way that I've always viewed real estate is that, that it's a channel or it's a tool or it's a conduit that by investing in real estate, by redeveloping real estate, by renovating and changing it, we can actually directly impact the lives of the people around us. And so it's more than just a building. It's more than just dollars and cents. And so that's why it's so important for me to help facilitate and enable operators that look like us to grow faster and feel confident in doing so, so that we can contribute to changing our own community. I think that's amazing that you've taken on this task of really trying to revitalize, you know, areas of color. And so I'm just curious, like, what what are some of the communities that you're doing work in today? And what exactly are those projects? Sure. So my company, Diversified Lending Solutions, is a debt capital markets advisor. What does that mean? So what that means is when you decide that you're going to buy a 500-unit multifamily complex, you're going to need to finance it, right? You're usually going to need some combination of of your friends and family to kick in. But the real big piece of what you're going to fund is going to come through a loan, most likely. And so in many cases, especially for folks like us, okay, maybe they'll go and buy a a one-off investment property, a rental property. But the idea of buying a 500-unit multifamily complex may just be out of reach, right? And so our company helps bridge the gap for the operator that's maybe done those first few deals 
gotten their feet wet, but is looking to scale their business to the next level, but realizes they're going to need to tap into a bigger network of more institutional capital in order to buy and invest in projects that big. So I'll give you an example. We work with a, a sister in, in Houston, Rockstar. She started out from corporate, made the transition from corporate only a few years ago. And she came to us looking to acquire a 460-unit multifamily complex. And by any account, based off just her resume and experience in real estate, you'd say, wow, that's a reach. But she's incredibly intelligent, incredibly hardworking, very well networked, and had a really, really strong analytical framework and had done a, a few deals prior to that could actually validate that she's, she knows what she's doing. We worked together to help obtain you know, a $40 million loan for her to actually acquire that portfolio. And in doing that, she now buys a 460-unit multifamily complex where she's going to be investing millions of dollars in renovating it and repositioning it in order to improve the quality of life for the people living. That to me, that that's enough to get up, get you up in the morning, get excited. I mean, that that's that's all of what it's about for me to be able to look at that and see an investment team of color that went put together a deal of that size and scale, and is now taking control over such a meaningful part of of the Houston community. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's it's great to be a part of. Okay, so <laughs> I just have a question about like. How do you get that $40 million? Like, how do you, like, where is that money coming from? Like, how do you create a deal like that? Well, I have to give her a lot of credit. She, she is hugely ambitious. And prior to that deal, she had successfully completed about acquisitions on about 500 units. So how did she do that is the first question before she even, even got to us. Basically, she left corporate. She went out. She found a really small deal. She called a lot of people, made a lot of phone calls, uh, raised enough equity, and then went and got, got her first loan. And I think in many respects, it's harder to go from the first property, even if that's a five unit, and get that done than it is once you've done the five unit to go to 200 units in some respects. Because a lot of it is just the logistical challenges of what do I need to do and then getting your mindset in a, in, a, in, a, in a place where you actually believe this is not just absolutely ridiculous. So when she got that first deal done, that was like a huge part of the battle because she realized, okay, I can buy stuff. People have faith in me. Now I just need to do it on a much bigger scale. And that's frankly where we came in to convince a lender to say, listen, we believe in her, we believe in her project, and we're confident in putting up a much bigger check frankly, than the average company of, of, of her experience level. And that, but that's, what, that's for us with the game and the challenges and being able to demonstrate to corporate institutional money, there are very, very qualified, intelligent, analytical, hardworking real estate operators and owners that are of color and that are more than qualified to get these deals done. Because the reality is, if you look at other communities, this isn't as earth shattering and it happens day in and day out. And someone who started relatively small, a relatively small company a couple of years ago suddenly owns a couple thousand units. And you say, how the heck did that happen? And so it can happen in our community. We have the ability to do that. And if we work and leverage our own expertise, we can get there ourselves. 
You know, I hear people saying like, I want to be that woman. Like I want that 500 unit property, but it's like, I don't even like, where do I, how do I even begin? You know, like Vernon, tell me like, where do I begin if I want to own one day a 500 unit rental property? Like, where do they start? So it's like that expression where they say, you know, what's the best way to, to you know, to, to eat an elephant? It's just like piece by piece, right? Start at the smallest, smallest level. And, and what I mean by that is if you're working a nine to five or, or whatever, do not just get up and quit and say, I'm going to try to be this person, right? It's, it's not going to work. You're going to could be six months in, you know, your bank account would have been dwindled and you're going to say, what the heck did I do? Invest passively in somebody else's project. And in a way that you can put a, a money to work that's not going to, if you lose it, it's not going to ruin your life, but you can use that as a put, way to put your foot in the door so you can learn and through somebody else. So that's what I did. Went and found somebody that was out there doing it full time. They had a small deal. I put some of my money in with some of my friends. We trusted the individual. We, we, we collectively said, okay, what are the questions we need to answer to feel confident? We use that as an opportunity to, to sharpen our, our swords in terms of evaluating deals. And when and we got to see what went well and what went poorly. And once we figured out what went well and what went poorly, we did it again. And we did it again. At some point, one of us said, you know what? I could do this. And then it became easier because they knew that they had a network of people that were already interested in doing things like that as well. So view it as baby steps, right? It just so happened. I mean, this sister was a rock star of all rock stars. I'm, you know, so I wouldn't say the goal should be to replicate what she did, you know, in the next six months. It's a process, it's an evolution, but it's not binary. You don't have to be at zero for 20 years and then suddenly hit a hundred. And so it's, it's in taking that first baby step. So, you know, I want to kind of like break this down for our audience because what you're referring to is something called syndication, right? So can you, can you explain to our audience? I mean, you already did through your example and that's something that RJ and I actually, we were, you know, looking at opportunities where we could invest passively, right? You know, where someone had a deal and that they were, they brought all of these investors together and was, was pitching it to us basically. And so I think a lot of people, you know, don't, don't know that that's available to them. A lot of times when we think of real estate, we think, oh, I got to be a landlord. I got to buy, you know, be that mom and pop you know, type of landlord where you buy a single or two family or three family home and whatnot. But there are there are a diff- lot of different ways where you can invest in real estate. Can you just kind of break that down on the various ways that people can passively invest in real estate? Sure. No, that's a great point. So people, you're, you're 100% right. People don't realize that you don't need to be, you know, Uncle McMillions to invest in commercial deals. And the way that that is possible is through a thing called syndication. Syndication basically means if I need to raise a million bucks, I'm going to go out to a wide assortment of folks who maybe can put in 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, and I'm going to pool all, I'm going to syndicate all of those, the capital from all those people to hit my million. I don't need to go to just one individual. And the value in that for the individual thinking about getting into real estate is it gives them a foot in the door where they can be a part of a bigger transaction where they're learning without worrying that, 
A, I got to wait X years because to save up so much more to get there, or I just don't have the experience working on those types of deals. So I'm just, I'm just not qualified. This provides a bridge to get that exposure and that learning. And it's such a powerful tool. And I think more people are starting to learn it. But I think especially in, in, in communities of color, where we can't always depend on some uncle or aunt who's just going to write a million dollar check, that it's so much more important for us to pool our capital, you know, with the resources that we do have. Yeah, no, yeah, I think, you know, it's so true. And, you know, that's, you know, a purpose of our platform is, you know, one to educate others and and be a platform where you can get financially educated. So I wanted to kind of just talk about your journey, entrepreneurship, right? Like the lessons that you learned, right? From when you began, like what were some things that you learned and what advice would you give to someone who's starting in entrepreneurship as well? One of the biggest mistakes that I made early on in entrepreneurship is I would describe it as a rigidness in thinking. And I think that's maybe one of the good and bad things that comes from spending time in a very corporate setting, which is it has to look like this. It has to look like that. And ultimately, once you're in a position to make those decisions, there is no set rule book that you have to follow. So when I say that, I say I came from Credit Suisse. You're used to having resources. You're used to the marketing department. You're used to the legal department. You're used to being able to pick up a phone and just get an answer quickly. And what I find that one of the biggest drivers of your success as an entrepreneur is if you don't have that, that, that bat phone to just pick up the phone and, and make a quick speed dial, are you going to be able to deal with enough of the uncertainty that's around you to make decisions with limited information? Are you going to be able to, to really test and strengthen that analytical brain of yours to be able to use as much limited information you can to make snap second decisions and, deci- and decisions that you're invested in? This is not like, you know, I'm just going to play hopscotch and be going back and forth. But if you're in a position, let's say, where you realize you don't have a lawyer on speed dial, okay, well, maybe I need to network more w- within the legal community and make sure that I have some contacts that I can bounce some things off of. If you're not a marketer by design and you don't have the, the budget for the marketing group, okay, who do I know in my network that can help look at some of my, 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 uh, my marketing materials to help, help guide me? And starting to figure out, okay, what of that can I actually do myself if I can't find somebody to do it? And that involves doing the research and the time. Maybe I need to learn. Maybe I need to put my, my lawyer hat on today because there's no one that I can call. I find so many people get frustrated and stuck and run back to corporate because that muscle hasn't been trained enough. And so it feels so intimidating and scary when suddenly you don't have the answer and you don't know how to get it. And it paralyzes people. So then they find themselves three months down the road. They haven't made enough progress. They're disillusioned. They're discouraged. Man, let me send my resume and I, I can't do this. So a lot of it is training your mind to be able to, to live in uncertainty and live in discomfort and actually embrace it, not run from it. 
I love it. I think you're you're so right, right? Like just being comfortable with the uncomfortable, uncom- right? Like, you know, and finding the resources, having a team around you, having a board of directors around you so that when you don't have that answer, you you know that who you who you need to go to to have a consult with and get the direction you need. Because again, like I was just telling someone recently, no one gets to where they are on their own. We all need help, you know? And so if you get comfortable with asking for help, you're going to get so much further because we all don't know. We're all trying to figure it out, you know? And the only way you do know is by asking questions, right? Yeah. The smartest question is just asking, right? Like at the end of the day, some people don't ask and that's the worst Mm -hmm. thing you could do. But I want to ask you, because I know I hear, I hear some of our, our listeners saying this, you know, that passive income or passively investing in real estate sounds really interesting. You know, I'm just, syndication is new to me. Where can I start if I want to find deals where I can invest passively? Like what's the first place you would recommend for people to learn and also start investing? So one of the things that I've learned in real estate, more so than other industries, is that personal relationships are critical. And there are a lot of folks out there that are not very good at what they do in real estate. And so the goal here is not just to to kind of launch blindly, but to, to work with people that you know and you trust. So the easiest way I would actually suggest getting in is consulting your social network and finding someone that's actually invested with someone and has actually made money, right? And start there. There are a million gurus. There are a million names that I could throw out right now and have people racing to. And I'm a little reluctant to do that only because I think it's so important for the individual to establish that level of trust and understanding when they're going into something that's so sensitive. So I would first and foremost, find somebody, find a friend, find a relative. If you don't have that, go to a real estate networking event, establish some folks that have done this before, and then canvas them. Canvas them and say, okay, what are you doing? How did that work? And always question people on what didn't work more so than what worked. Because in the reality is, although everybody loves to watch YouTube and Instagram and watch the multimillionaire who just made it big in real estate, for every one of those, there are 99 that are out here that completely messed it up, right? And, and that's part of what drives the fear. So, well, maybe I can't do it. No, no, you can do it, but do it thoughtfully. Speak to people. And I guarantee you, I can tell you very quickly, I've been in the industry enough that I can have a conversation with someone in five minutes and tell if they're serious and they're in in real estate or if they're just full of hot air. And so I would say develop that skill by learning to ask the questions about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what went wrong when they did it. And if people can't answer that very clearly, there's probably something that that, that you'd want to dig a little bit deeper on. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, yeah, re- do your due diligence really is what it comes down to, and 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 start with you know your own network, and 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 start from there. Yeah, I love that. Now that said, one thing to add, I'm sorry, is that I will say I will plug any of my clients all day, and we work with some tremendous real estate operators ourselves, and many of those are either women owned or minority owned businesses. So I do strongly encourage folks if and when they do want to identify some of those operators, I'm always happy to be a conduit and introduce folks to very highly qualified minority and women-owned operators because I think they, they need to get more exposure. 
That's awesome. No, I think you've shared a lot of great information for people to at least just get started, right? Like just start their research, start their due diligence to learn more about how they can start investing passively, learn about syndication, learn about the urban revitalization projects that you're doing, learn about the community development and whatnot. And so it's like, I think this is just a great episode just for that starting point for people who just need, who want to learn more and just don't know where to start. So thank you for sharing just all that you did on this episode. Yeah, we really appreciate you for coming on and definitely want our listeners to know where they can find you. So can you share with that with our audience? Sure. So visit our company, Diversified Lending Solutions at www.dlsloans.com, loans with an S. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Vernon Beckford, B-E-C-K-F-O-R-D, DM me and I'll, I'll respond. And those are really the, the easiest ways to, to get exposure to us. And feel free to reach out. I, I love it. Uh, and I know my partner, Eric, loves it too. When we hear people early in their real estate journey and are trying to make that leap, we were there. We understand the trepidation and the fear. And so we're always happy to, to be a, a sounding board. Love it. Thank you so much. I think that's great. And thanks, you know, for just offering to be a resource to people. So that's amazing. So Vernon, this was great. Thank you for coming on. We're so glad that we could have you. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration. 